Hey friends, before the show, I'd like to plug the store of our friends at Terracotta Distribution. At their storefront, shop.terracottadistribution.com, you'll find a wide range of Asian DVDs and Blu-rays from Kim Kidak to Jackie Chan, from Ho Shao Shen to Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, aka the Japanese Evil Dead. This was even put out on a limited run VHS, folks. New titles are being added regularly, and if you go to shop.terracottadistribution.com, distribution.com and enter the discount code POFN10 that's POFN10 this gives podcast on fire network listeners 10% off at checkout the discount code is POFN10 and visit shop.terracottadistribution.com for more and let's get on with the show Welcome to Podcast on Fire on Black Mask 2, City of Masks. It's possibly the strangest gathering of talents and elements ever, featuring the man who would be Jigsaw, a former pornographic movie actress, a mainstay of the Coen Brothers films, elephants, professional wrestlers, and the world's busiest action actor. Yes, of course, it's a Troy Hark film, as he returned to Black Mask, uh, the Black Mask universe without Jet Li, in Black Mask 2, City of Masks. So let's get ready to rumble, I guess. Uh, I'm Kenny B, and uh, with me is the uh, host and producer of the Atkins Undisputed podcast. And now we're finally talking a film where Scott Atkins appears in, in the Black Mask 1 episode that you hopefully heard. We couldn't really talk of uh, Scott Atkins' uh, participation and appearance, but we finally can with Michael Scott of the Atkins Undisputed podcast so welcome back buddy i am happy to be here my friend i uh i am super excited to to come and talk about uh well to talk about whatever we want to call black mask too <laughs> well w- one thing you might call it is uh not very liked but uh, that hasn't stopped me from uh, pursuing it it didn't stop me back in the day like even in 2003 or wherever whenever it came to dvd I, I knew that it's like if there if there would have been like a percentage to look up back in the day uh, in terms of a critical appraisal blah blah blah. I have a feeling this would be super low. Everybody hated it, and I watched it, and I didn't hate it. Yeah, it had ele- it had elephants. It has it has elephants. It has, as you said, former uh, infamous porn stars, uh, all sorts of wrestlers, including one of my favorites. Um, yeah, yeah, I I don't. I, I, I'm with you. I don't hate it either. So I think we might surprise some people as we we dive into this one a bit. We'll turn off some people already. But um, anyway, we're here to have a good time and share some background and our review and analysis and so forth. But seeing as you're the honored guest and certain, certain co-host and certainly co-producer because you're contributing to the episode, why don't you uh, throw out the plug for your Scott Atkins uh, podcast? And if people didn't listen in the previous episode, uh, give them a little a quick blurb of uh, what to expect when they uh, when they find the show. 
Sure. It's Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world, which is a little play on on one of his most famous lines. I am going movie by movie through his career. Uh, every episode I bring on a guest and we talk about uh, a Scott Adkins movie. And I am also on most episodes joined by the man himself to kind of do a retrospective on his career, as well as I I run bonus episodes where I interview up and comers in the action community. I've had people like Brian Sloyer on. I've had uh, people like Liam O'Donnell, who directed the Skyline uh, series uh, on. And uh, at the time this comes out, we should be either done or wrapping up. Uh, our mini series on the greatest action stars ever with me and Scott going through and proclaiming who we believe to be the greatest action star of all time. Are you, what's the criteria there? I mean, I'm not going to make a joke about Michael Wong again, but what was the criteria there? Are you solely focusing on martial arts action star or could we, could we expect uh, gunplay heroes in the mix as well? There, there'll be gunplay heroes. We started with an episode of honorable mentions because, of course, we, what we did was we narrowed it down to the top five, and each of the top five is getting their own dedicated episode. But five is just an astronomically small number. So we did an episode that was us just throwing out other people that we thought should be in the conversation. It's not just martial artists. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say what the, the five are because those episodes will be out. Uh, it's, we narrowed it down to Keanu Reeves and these are in no order because Scott and I did not, we did not decide our order until we were done talking about everybody. Um, so these are in no order. It's Keanu Reeves, it's Tom Cruise, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's Jackie Chan, and it's Sylvester Stallone are the five that we settled on. So so you've got quite a wide, I think, quite a wide range of varying action styles in there. What's fun about it is there are so many podcasts that talk about action stars, mine included, but there's very few where you have an actual action star coming on and talking about these are the people that I looked up to. These are the people that inspired me. These are, you know, and the thing with Scott is he's uh, barring a couple of exceptions. He's worked with all of these people too. You know, I, we were going through the honorable mentions and literally I think 75% of them he's worked with and he's worked with, uh, three out of the top five. He has not yet worked with Tom Cruise and not yet worked with Keanu Reeves, but he's worked with everybody else. And so he kind of brings, I think, I think that's what makes it fun is he brings a much more insider sort of opinion to this discussion than you might get, you know, from just people, fans like me talking about it. Yeah, direct experiences uh, bring a different context and uh, even perhaps the correct context because being an external observer you might not have all the um, information as a matter of fact i mean it's okay to be a fan but uh having a direct line to the person and the working experience uh not the finished celluloid but the working experience might uh, provide like a good chunk of of opinion that you and i can't provide so uh, that sounds really informative as a matter of fact yeah, actually, perfect example. He he told a story. I, I did not know this until he told me, but working with Jet Li on Unleashed, when they were doing all the choreography and the rehearsals and stuff like that, it would actually be Tiger Chen, uh, Jet Li's stunt double, doing all 
that and working with all of them, you know, and Yuan Wu Ping coordinate. And Jet would literally just sit there on set and watch them do the choreo. And then when they were ready to shoot, he would be able to walk on to the shoot and do the choreo at full speed with no hesitation just by watching all of these guys do it because he was trying, he didn't want to take the extra injuries and stuff, but he's so skilled and he's so talented that he could, he could memorize the choreography just by watching it. And I was like, I mean, I already think Jet Li's one of the greats, as you know, from, from the last episode on black mask, but that just blew my mind that, that he had not just the physical abilities, but that mental capability to be able to do that. And and that isn't necessarily well. He's a wushu guy. No, that's move experience. That's uh, picking up a working uh, style that clearly works for him as well. But I've never heard it done that way. I'm sure it's somewhat common, but I've never heard it done that way because you assume some kind of hands-on rehearsal at the very least uh, to 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 get the feel for what's coming and what you have to deliver. But uh, no, that, that's like um, he's he's like a little special computer <laughs> right there <laughs> he just locks it in his memory and then boom goes he's like a martial arts savant like he just he's just the dude just is pure martial arts and so he can just log it and go it's it's it, i my jaw hit the floor when scott told me that story and it's really cool too because um to hear because one you you might think he uh he doesn't want to overexert himself having been injured before in his career Two, that movie was an acting movie. So who knows how how he wanted to sort of divide his energy between getting the acting right and the action right. It uh, might be a needed um, break. Uh, he needed a, a, a physical break too, you know what I mean, to focus on getting his scenes with Morgan Freeman right and the emotional components uh, right and so forth. Because uh, we didn't discuss this too much, but uh, I assume you know by now that Jet is a terrific dramatic actor. I think he's still underappreciated. That movie, maybe not so much, but uh, movies like Ocean Heaven, which is a fantastic mainland drama and fearless and so forth. And and I still think he's not getting his due in terms of what he brings dramatically by this point um, in his career, uh, Jet Li. I agree. I agree completely. I think he's, a you know, Unleashed might have actually been, I guess it wouldn't have been the first time. Hero probably would have been the first time where I really was, I'd always liked him, but Hero might have been the first time where I really stood up and was like, Oh, damn, Jet Li, like, can act like he can do drama because, you know, he spent so much time and we talked about this a little bit in Black Mask. He spent so much time with Wong Jing doing goofy comedy stuff and and that that it was like and, and when he started, like in Once Upon a Time in China, he was so stiff at that point that it was like hero. And then following on that with something like Unleashed and then, yeah, Ocean Heaven and and you know, some of the other, the warlords and some of the other movies he did that are much more straight drama than action. Uh, it was kind of a revelation and, and is one of the things that actually made me appreciate him even more than I already did. Well, 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 excellent. We'll link to all your endeavors and uh, I'll do some short uh, contact information and uh, we'll get this uh, show uh, going. Even though it, we don't have a ton of background information on Black Mask 2, we have some, so we're going to uh, share that and then do the review after that so i'll I'll put timestamps in um, 
in the show post for those distinct sections. But uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com where you'll find this show. Podcast on Fire, the OG show that uh, deals in Hong Kong cinema new and old. And this is a Hong Kong, US co-production. It isn't uh, strictly a Choi Hak um, doing a Hollywood movie, so it fits the bill. But I have no qualms about doing uh, reviews of Hong Kong directors in Hollywood, so it really it really fits uh, Podcast on Fire, I think. If you want to listen on our shows on Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, we talk category-free movies on this weekend's list, and we have a bonus episode archive, you'll find that on podcastonfire.com. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, bring back your memories of watching Black Mask 2, if you like by writing to us podcast on fire at googlemail.com when the show goes out i'll, I'll be sure to sort of try and jog your uh, memory uh, good or bad memories of black mask 2 by asking on the facebook group so uh, join that it's called podcast on fire network uh, while you're on facebook like our page and uh, follow us on twitter our handle is podcast on fire uh, i write about a variety of hong kong and taiwanese movies on my website so goodreviews.com and uh, of course i forgot to mention the subscribe to podcast on fire on apple Podcasts, stream us on stitcher radio and spotify or find us wherever you get your podcasts and uh, we'll link to your little uh, fancy link tree of uh, all things atkins undisputed so people have uh, the linky links in one uh, one convenient place I just got tired of having to rattle off all that stuff like you just did. I was like, it's just so much easier to say Linktree. <laughs> Linktree, bitches, like, go to it. I don't care about plugging with sincerity anymore. <laughs> you, you, you'll love me regardless. Linktree.com. <laughs> I, I, I have Linktree. I just haven't figured it out yet. I'm that old. Like, what is this? How does this work? We'll see. Once I get to it, you guys have moved on to something more efficient. But uh, that's the story of my life. Anyway, we're going to take a music break. And after that, we'll be back to discuss Black Mask 2, City of Masks from 2002. And uh, we'll uh, be right back. And welcome back, and uh, this episode will review Black Mask 2, City of Masks from 2002, and plot in all simplicity from IMDb, the Black Mask, played by Andy on, must stop a group of, uh, must stop a group intent on setting off a DNA bomb that could cause mutations to the human race. A big old scenario, epic scenario. So, so some background. The direction the sequel to the 1996 Jet Li superhero movie took was perhaps not the expected one. Arriving six years after the original and now with uh, producer of the original, uh, Choi Hak, now at the helm of the film. And the new Black Mask is here, played by Andy On. It was also a co-produced venture between Hong Kong's China Star Entertainment Group and Sony Pictures, which ultimately meant that this was predominantly filmed in English. Uh, Andy On is American, but I think he speaks... Um, Mandarin. Uh, I don't think he speaks Cantonese. He, he's dubbed in his Cantonese films, or at least was. And I remember in the making ofs for those Cantonese films, uh, he would speak Mandarin. So that's uh, how he uh, got on there in the early 2000s, so over in Hong Kong and China, I guess. 
uh, further cost uh, therefore includes the, uh, because uh, this is a co-produced uh, venture we got Tobin Bell of Sawfang, Tracy Lords, John Polito speaking of again again of the Coen Brothers connection and Scott Atkins as Lang the man with the um, steampunk uh, goggles and um, I'm an idiot Michael I still can't really see that that's him beneath that thing they hide him very well through goggles and obviously facial hair, but he's kind of unrecognizable, at least to me. I mean, you, you're a diehard fan. You can probably like, yeah, I can see that face. I recognize that face anywhere. But to me, he's unrecognizable, and that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty fair, you know? And I mean, this was, I think, only his third movie. So, it, you know, he wasn't, at the time this came out, you know, he wasn't a huge star. But no, with the, the shaved head, and he's got that goatee, and the, the those goggles are so big <laughs> that they cover up most of his face anyway. I mean, they certainly do cover up quite a bit of, of his, you know, the features that you would normally recognize him. So it, it definitely looks not, I mean, it's the most not like him I think he's probably ever looked in a movie. Uh, that voice is unrecognizable. Uh, is recognizable, though, rather. Uh, once he starts speaking, ah, I've heard that before. And an intact English accent and everything. So he isn't there having it up with an American accent or anything. So, which I always uh, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so what? Use your voice. We don't care. Black Mask 2 was a direct video release in America, while Hong Kong got a theatrical release, but uh, with a Cantonese dub featuring an all-star cast trying to drum up some business. Uh, featuring Andy Lau, dubbing Andy on. What an honor. Uh, we also had Cecilia Chung, Louis Ku, original Black uh, Mask uh, cast member Lao Ching Wan appears, Chapman Toe, and voicing the Scott Atkins character was Jordan Chan, Chicken, out of uh, the Young and Dangerous movies, and uh, one of my favorite uh, Hong Kong uh, actors. So um, we didn't have that track uh, at our disposal, but that wouldn't, I wouldn't mind watching it at least once with uh, with that voice cast because we're, we're familiar with those voices, you know. So like like ah, can hear I can hear Andy and there's Chapman Toe and uh, there's Lao Ching Wan. So that wouldn't be uh, that wouldn't be uncool necessarily. No, I I agree. I wouldn't mind seeing it either. Although it would be really weird uh, for me again knowing Scott's voice as well as I do. To hear Jordan Chan's voice, to hear Chicken's voice coming out of his mouth, that would that would take a bit of an adjustment. I think I'd be fine with all the other dubbing, because even though I know what all the other actors sound like, I talk to him so much on the regular that it would be kind of like if Phil's voice all of a sudden you're recording an episode with Phil and then all of a sudden like Jordan Chan's voice comes out of him. Right. You know, that that would be a bit of an adjustment for me, I think. But I would still like to see that version. And uh, it uh, got a DVD release back in the day, uh, uh, subsequently, uh, so maybe it's still an affordable option if you're looking for a Cantonese dub for Black Mask 2, but uh, we watched it in English. And by the way, all of that uh, attempt at drumming up business did not help in Hong Kong, because the film merely made about 4 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office, so it was... um, uh, it was quite anonymous. Uh, but my question to you, Michael, as your run of podcasts uh, included little interviews with uh, Scott Atkins on specific movie, movies and so forth, and that included Black Mask 2, without spilling the beans too much because we'd want people to listen to your podcast in full, w- what did Scott uh, have to say about working on the film, uh, good or bad? And if I can throw in a, a bonus question, could he even see through those glasses? Uh, he could see, uh, he could see, uh, but they really did restrict. If I remember right, they really did restrict his vision. He could still see, 
so this was actually one of my favorite chats that I, I had with him because this is one of the very first ones. And it was I wanted to sort of when I was talking to him, I wanted to sort of establish that I wasn't just some fanboy, you know, that, that I, I was taking a seriously academic approach to his career and, and that I wanted to actually like I like his movies. I consider them valuable, but they are not all winners. Um, and so this was the one where I really first asked him. I think the question I asked was, can I have your steampunk goggles? I'll pay you at least 20 bucks. I would love that. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. I, I'm actually, I have vowed I am at some point going to cosplay as Dr. Lang. And I'm still trying to, I still am trying to source like steampunk goggles that look identical. I might actually have to make my own. No, I asked him, I said, so was there some point where everybody on set figured out that this movie wasn't maybe working as well as it should have. Um, and you know, that's a pretty ballsy question to ask. Somebody. He, he laughed and he, I mean, he went with it cause he, he, he's seen the movie. He knows. Is it that kind of guy that, um, he's, uh, he's okay with, uh, replaying his past, um, work. He's a very humble guy. And so I think he gets a little more embarrassed about doing it than anything, but he's very open about, his career and very open about the fact that he's predominantly worked in sort of low budget direct video movies. And so he's very realistic about when a movie does and doesn't work. Honestly, I think he's harder on a lot of his movies than he should be uh, because he's always got in his head. This is how this movie's going to work. And, you know, then when it doesn't achieve it, kind of similar to Black Mass, too. But he has a lot of fond memories of this movie because he's there in Thailand with Guys like Silvio Simak and Rob Van Dam and Tyler Maine, you know, just a bunch of like young up and coming action stars hanging out on a film set being directed by Choi Hawk in Thailand. Like he's got nothing but good memories about the movie. Uh, I like working on it. You know, he pointed out and I have no reason to doubt this. There, there's no script, which is not uncommon in Hong Kong, you know, that they would go and shoot a movie without anything really resembling a script. When you're dealing with a movie, I was kind of surprised with this one, because first of all, it's written by Cotillard and Carbon, who wrote Running Out of Time, one of my very favorite Johnny Toe movies. I have different screenwriting credits, but they they had they had story credit on IMDb, but they're not mentioned as the screenwriters on Hong Kong Movie Database. Uh, but 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 they definitely had a story credit um, somewhere. I should say they they wrote the story. They didn't do the screenplay. They they wrote the story. That that's my mistake. But but you know to go into a movie with this much CGI and and high concept set pieces without. A script I thought was a little surprising, but they didn't. They went in and, you know, Joy Hawk, the mad genius, just kind of made it. He had a lot of storyboards, I guess, you know, Scott, I because I asked him about the look and I, I've never read. Kenny, have you ever read the Black Mask Mawas? Have you ever read the original comics? I have not. Uh, one, I don't know if it's English translated, but it's not really my uh, cup of tea comics to be honest honest so uh, even if i like something uh, i'm more like oh, nah, I'd, I'd rather read a comic strip to be honest and i haven't read them either so i don't know but apparently Choi had all sorts of storyboards and concept art and stuff like that because i asked scott like you know whose idea was it because i think we can all agree that scott adkins is also a very good looking man so whose idea was it to shave his head put steampunk goggles in the most ridiculous goatee ever on him the other guy with the goatee and moustache. His idea. 
exactly. But that look was that look was already fully fleshed out. And so, you know, and, and the other the other thing I got, you know, I will get into it probably more when we get in talking a little bit more about the movie. But the, the other thing was, of course, one of the biggest complaints of this movie is just unbelievably dodgy. I don't even want to say dodgy, downright like offensive to your eyes, CGI in this movie. And Scott was saying that they had he told me that they had a there were a lot grander ideas for the CGI. His theory, this is just his theory, is that once people actually started seeing the cuts of the movie, uh, the money people were like, nah, this is this is shite. Like, we're just going to we're not going to give you any more money for CGI. Like, make what you got, because there is just some some terrible stuff. And there's some things like one of the things he told me is his his chest frame that he's got during the last fight. There's actually green screen material on that chest frame because they were supposed to do some additional like CGI stuff. And you can see it right in the center of his, his chest plate is actually green screen material. And they just left it. They never did. I'm guessing it was supposed to like glow or, or you know, maybe shoot lasers or something like that. And they didn't do that. But then you just now have this weird like green material right in the middle of his chest during the whole last fight. Uh, and so to me, it sounds like it was, uh, I don't know, a bit of a uh, uncertain and unsure uh, production, to say the least. It reflects to some degree that um, they, they couldn't bring this home. Technically, it certainly shows up um, in the movie. But uh, whether that's a truly uh, like crippling thing for the movie uh, that it falls flat on its face because it can't deliver technically well, let's get into sh- some short opinions. And to repeat, um, I-, I-, I still don't hate it. Uh, I knew then, and I know now, to have low expectations. So I've always sort of come out liking Black Mask too. Not all throughout. It-, it takes a while before it finds its groove, I- I'd like to say. Quite a while, actually. Uh, the elements within, as you list them, sounds insane. And they are. And for a good stretch, uh, Choi Hak's manic visual sense aids the film. But that takes a while to set in for, I'd have to say, a good hour. Uh, that's how, how long it took before the movie stopped being sporadic and found a momentum and fun. Essentially, a big high sequence that leads to elephants, and then it's pure action from that point. That's pretty pretty goddamn good. It's it sputters otherwise. And, uh, but uh, by, by the end, I thought it was kind of non-stop fun. Again, I didn't expect a lot, but I have fun. It's n- it's nothing classic for the action crowd. Uh, Yung Ping did choreograph action, but it's quite disposable, to be honest, uh, as a uh, shot anyway. Uh, but uh, Choi Hart gets the scenario off the ground and sort of brings it home. I had fun this time around. It might not sound like approval when he only has partial plus points for the momentum. But that's still how I feel. Uh, when I came, came out of it, uh, I felt like the last 30-40 minutes... They held up. They um, that's where the noise uh, got to me. So I still like it. I want to rewatch it again. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, yeah, that was a little bit longer opinion, but uh, still, uh, what's your short opinion on of uh, Black Mask Two? Same but different. I don't dislike this movie either. Honestly, I've seen it more than some better Scott Adkins movies. I you know I I've watched this movie probably a half a dozen times, and every time I watch it, I find things that I like 
more and things that I hate more. And and every time it's almost it's different. I feel like I'm watching a different movie every time I watch it. On my episode that I did on this, my friend Rob Dean, I thought, had the best description, which is he said and he loves the movie. But he said it's a movie where you feel like you're constantly like missing scenes like like you're watching it and you're constantly like, wait, did I miss a scene? Did I like days you know doze off for a second and miss something important and he's like no you didn't it's <laughs> just not there i think the first is really strong and i think the end is really strong for me it, it really bogs down in the middle you know we can get into some details later but the whole kitty cat black mask really that really bogs down the movie yeah well, the mutations in question is uh is a chapter and a half <laughs> in this movie but okay, uh, the title amuses me. City of Masks. You know, he's not the only mask. There's a whole city of them. There, there isn't. But uh, it's important to have fun. And uh, the title amused me. So I was like, okay, I'm having fun already. So here we go. Like, who is good? Who is bad? Who can tell? There's so many masks out there. And the reason I probably, like what I was seeking, Michael, was some Choi you know, directing... Uh, style as uh, a visual sense that leans more on the crazy frenzied side uh, i was looking for that because he can amuse me greatly when he's sort of on his crazy pills and is directing impossible visuals and putting together impossible visuals on a low budget or a high budget and i think that is good entertainment because choi hak is is great at that uh to quote jonathan ross choi hak is fucking nuts and that has always carried me quite well throughout this filmography and even still i don't know if you follow his work on the mainland because uh, he's been doing 3D movies for quite a while with uh, Taking of Tiger Mountain, uh, the, the Tiger uh, the, uh, Flying Swords, the Tiger Gate movie, obviously the Detective D movies. I don't know if he uses 3D well because I've never seen him in 3D. I don't have a 3D TV, but I find that his now big budget spectacle is something he handles rather well. I, I find that when Choi Hark is in, in charge of something like this, it really gets me to good places. He's good at pummeling us for two and a half hours with uh, impossible 3D visuals. Uh, um, so I might as well stop there. Has that been any uh, part of your sort of interest to explore at least the Detective D uh, movies, uh, one or two of them? Yeah, no, I've actually, I think I've seen most of his mainland work. I absolutely love uh, The Taking of Tiger Mountain. He did a terrific job and i do have a 3d tv and i do have those 3d discs uh and i i really think he did a a terrific job on that movie uh i will say he's he's often been called i i I feel like unfortunately as much as i hate to mention his name bay logan was the first person i heard call him the chinese steven spielberg and i think that is kind of true because he's always on the cutting edge in addition to just being this incredible visionary he's always on the cutting edge of technology and constantly trying to push stuff forward and do different things with it and uh and that is really true when you're talking his his 3d output because like flying swords of of dragon gate as much as i love Jet Li, structurally narratively not not a great movie. I like it better than most. I've heard a lot of people really don't like it. I don't get that. I, I, I enjoy it. But from a 3D visual standpoint, he's out there in 2011 putting everybody except for James Cameron, everybody doing 3D. He's just putting them to shame. He's just making them look like fools because he's so good at it and takes it so seriously. So I love 
I, I am actually really enjoying his later era. I haven't seen all of his movies. Like, I haven't seen The Climbers yet. Oh, was, uh, was Troy Hawk involved with that? I thought that was a Daniel Lee joint. Or hey, Daniel Lee directed it, Troy Hawk produced it, and had Which, which might have meant Troy Hawk directed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Much like I, I think we can say maybe the first Black Mask, but uh, I haven't seen the most recent uh, Detective D. I, I liked all of them, uh, even um, the to be honest, kind of I like I like the prequel kind of better. Um, that that guy Mark Chow was like, okay, how are you gonna get used to losing Andy Lau? But it had so many cool visual ideas. It was a cool ride, cool story. Rise of the Sea Dragon. <laughs> All right, and uh, even the third one, um, which uh, obviously is the second one in the story, and um, you, because I, I I rewatched them in that order, you know, the Mark Chow ones first as one and two and then Andy Lau's uh, entry as the third one and it, and it works that way um, and I, I find them very cool I mean I, I'm a I'm a guy who grew up in the 80s and 90s and I prefer some sense of the physical but Choi Hak is good at sort of wowing me with uh, these uh, hugely expensive and good looking CG visuals because the ideas are so grand and uh, I welcome him to pummel me for two hours with with those kind of visuals, uh, or even in his Journey to the West film that um, that he did, I thought that was fun. Uh, maybe not funny as a as a nonsense comedy, but I thought that was fun as a, just a big old big old CG spectacle, commercial spectacle. And uh, I think he's got the the touch for it. Uh, I mean, he's been a commercial director, of course, for many many years. Of course, he's got a the touch for what makes for commercial films. Not in the case of Black Mask too, mind you, but. Uh, you know, honestly, going back to Tiger Mountain, I tried watching it once and I I was that kind of a stuck-up fool that just, CG blood, that ruined cinema, I'm not going to watch it because it's CG blood. Mind you, I was in my 30s. So. <laughs> and then a few years passed. Just stop it. Watch it and just stop it. You know, just uh, don't, uh, you know, spend time with that negativity and just watch it. And I did. I still don't like the CG blood necessarily, but it was a good, fun adventure. I like the CG tiger in it. I was I was okay. That's Choi Hawk so much of his career, right? Is just like, stop it. You're, you're, you're expecting, you're going into a movie and you're expecting something. And that's kind of always mistake number one with Choi Hawk. Don't go in expecting anything because the guy is such a madman that you never know what you're going to get. So don't expect anything with him. You might get double team. You might get once upon a time in China. You might get taking a tiger mountain. You might get black. You don't know because the guy is so creative and his brain is just bursting with these larger than life ideas that the best thing to do is just take his movies as they come, you know, one that I I defend so often because a lot of people really don't like it is Seven Swords. I only saw it once, but that was on the back of um, increased um, hype at the time. Like, uh, here's track, uh, old school movie and Lau Kaolong is in it. And nah, 15 years ago, uh, that was my sort of final experience with Seven Swords. But uh I think uh, it's due for a rewatch. Michael Wong is in it, so obviously I need to watch it again. Well, and I mean, it's 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 Donnie Yen and Leon Lai and Lau Kar Lung. Like, like it just, I like I said, I adore it. And, and it for me, I really took to it when it first came out because uh, as much as I do like the movie now, 
I absolutely thought that he was done. He was cooked after Black Mass 2. I was just, <laughs> Troy Hawk has lost it. Because I will say that the one Troy Hawk movie that I still, I personally have any, I have very much difficulty finding any redeeming value in is Zoo Warriors. Uh, you're talking of uh, the sequel. The, yeah. Uh, the Legend of Zoo. Legend of Zoo, yeah. Um, it's it's Zoo. Sorry, it's Zoo Warriors here in the U.S. That's how it was released here. So I always I think like, yeah, yeah, you need to be on the right side of Zoo here. <laughs> yes, not Zoo Warriors from Magic Mountain, the 2001 Legend of Zoo. I that one does nothing for me. So there was the one-two punch of that and Black Mass Two, and I was like, Choi Hawk's cooked. He's done. And then Seven Swords comes out, and I was like this motherfucker still got it. <laughs> like, he's still got it. And then he follows that up with triangle and missing. And I'm just like, Nope, Nope. He's still got it. He's still Troy Hawk. You were, you were one of the few that got on with missing. As a matter of fact, I liked missing well enough because I thought it was a good enough. <laughs> missing was good enough. Right. Let me put it that way. Cause, cause uh, a lot of people tend to, tune out when it comes to sort of a last fourth when everything's revealed and it's more of a serene film than a ghostly film as it um, starts out you know see and i i kind of liked that it was more of a serene film because i just am kind of like over i'm over scary ghost movies i mean it came in that uh, era of the, the new millennium where we we were we were pummeled with that as well. So I suppose that's uh, something I need to return to to see structurally what it did different uh, during, during that time. I remember the DVD had a Cantonese commentary with uh, Chohaka that I believe was subtitled as well. So I was like, I gotta, gotta watch that because uh, I want to hear the guy speak in his uh, native tongue uh, how crazy or not crazy he was during that film. Because uh, you might, you know, we, we haven't talked about about Black Mask 2 very much and we will. But one of my favorite aspects of Chohaka is that he's a self-admitted madman and an asshole if you've heard his stories uh, making the blade he sits there and, and just says uh, well i was nasty i was yelling to, uh, to everyone on set then i was doing it myself just to get it done and he sits there and just giggles i it, I, I can't help it i'm an asshole and uh, his uh, co-writer quan hoy uh, on that movie or, or 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 assistant i don't remember what his role was on that one said that when the last shot was done when they wrapped the blade choyak did not stick around to say thank you to the crew and like pop some champagne no no, he stormed off fucking boiling with anger and he sits there and afterwards 10 years afterwards talking over it retrospectively yeah that's me (laughs) sorry (laughs) and i don't know why i i hate those kind of persons in working life i don't dislike it when it comes from him i'm sorry i'm a hypocrite but i don't because it's kind of endearing that he's aware of uh, that he's um he can be a prick yeah, I mean, we don't have to work with him, right? So yeah. it's I, the other thing is, is that actually just made me realize, too, that the the Chinese Steven Spielberg is actually not an apt comparison. He's really the Chinese James Cameron. I was about to say he's a dick as well. Cameron is a tyrant. He's borderline abusive. He's certainly not somebody that I would ever like to know, but he makes genre defining movies. It's just, and that's actually to tie it back into Black Mass 2. That's the thing I've always said about Black Mass 2 is look, I like the movie. You and I are probably going to end up defending it a lot more than people would like us to. But what I, I will say is, I think objectively, it's it's a mess of a movie. Yeah. But it's it's the kind of mess that only a madman 
like Choi Hawk can make. This is not the product of some middle of the road. I think I, I, I DM'd you and I said, Daniel Lee ain't making this movie, right? And I like Daniel Lee just fine, but he's a very middle it, of... It's not in his creative personality to be, uh, to be this, this out there and put this chaos on screen. Exactly, exactly. This is the kind of bad movie, quote-unquote bad movie, that only a genius makes. Only a genius has this many ideas and is like, fuck it, I'm going to cram them all into one movie because there's seven movies in this thing. Bring me wrestlers and elephants and uh, is there a porn actress around? And I like John Polito. I've seen him in Crossing. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, let, let's get into some specifics. It, it might not have cost much, but you sure remember Scott Atkins' uh, design as Lang through the goggles and that big old close-up on the blue or green screen that starts the film. It plays the film in this very sci-fi setting, in this comic book style, perhaps, that's appealing to some. Again, I can't really judge whether this is a good comic book style present in this movie. And the movie, you know, gets through that dreadful exposition that you have to get through as a movie, through both the briefing as told to Lang from the disembodied thing, I guess. And, and that is just Scott Atkins on blue screen. I bet that was super boring to do. Yeah. Well, and what, but what I do love about this scene is that, you know, Black Mask was still at least ostensibly grounded in the real world. And literally from minute one of this movie, Choi is like, this ain't your mama's Black Mask, right? Like we are in a full-blown sci-fi fantasy bonkers ass world here. Uh, and so I love him sort of throwing the gauntlet down to be like, this is not the sequel that you're expecting. You know, in terms of exposition, you know, getting the plot elements in there about the scientists being murdered, you know, one character, maybe Lang, I've forgotten already, regardless, there's a Japanese scientist that puts newspapers there in the frame and talking to us and the character that the scientists are murdered. Exposition is hard, it's fine, we, you know, as long as you kind of thrill, which the movie kind of does eventually, I'm fine with ropey sort of clunky exposition. Uh, as I said, I like that Scott gets to do his English accent uh, in uh, this movie, uh, because... Um, I, I told that to Richard Norton as well. Uh, we were talking about China O'Brien, I think. But regardless, that um, he's done movies where he's an Aussie. And that's great. There's no... Uh, because it can come off as so clunky as well. I don't know how Scott feels his uh, take on American accents. Uh, Robert, let's turn it around. You're the expert. Has he done a lot of accent work? Or he's, he's had enough clout to sort of say, like, I'm English. So I'm going to act in my accent. Take it or leave it. He actually likes doing accents, uh, and he takes it as a... I mean, Boyka is, a, is obviously a, a big old accent job. Uh, I, I know that. He takes uh, doing an American accent as a personal challenge uh, because he has been criticized so much for his American accent in the past. So, uh, And I have criticized him. He's actually promised me that on his next movie uh, that he does the American accent on, which is going to be out either by the end of the year, first part of next year, one shot that he's going to nail it uh, for me. Um, he loves accents. Like, it, again, not to self-promote, but if you listen to the Greatest Action Stars episodes, he just absolutely kills Schwarzenegger and Stallone impressions. Like, the guy can do accents like nobody's business. What was interesting to me talking to him about it is he actually said that he thinks the American accent is the hardest accent of all accents to nail. 
because everybody knows what Americans sound like. And we also are sort of, unless you're Southern, we're sort of notable for our lack of accent. We're kind of like the blandest possible English speakers on the face of the earth. It is nice when he does get to speak in his own accent. It's, it's uh, not uh, an ill fit for this uh, universe either that you have a uh, smorgasbord of uh, of uh, different characters and different accents, and and it's not like it's hard to understand either. So, um, but 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 I like it when it's uh when it's just uh, it's very convenient, I suppose. Uh, he's dealing with those goggles and uh, being stuck on a blue screen. So, you know, he he's uh, in some of the initial act uh, action beats. Uh, you know, uh, involving CGI. There's a uh, POV shots of objects coming towards him, and he puts out this force field that. Uh, uh, that he generates in front of him, so uh, things bounces off, and uh, I think that CD is fine, absolutely fine. And in terms of highlights, it's really select highlights in a 100-minute film, but at least it starts out with with some little boops of frenzy, you know, a little little highlights, but certainly not not enough. I mean, Scott leaves the movie for quite a while, so we're stuck with other people to try and get this movie riled up, and that's where we run into problems, as I'll talk of briefly. I have a feeling his line, ungrateful shit, is uh, a spur-of-the-moment line that sounded good to Troy Huck. Yes, you do it. You be you. I love that. That's one of my favorite lines in the movie. Like, I, I had to give that, and I use it all the time, because I just let the way he's just, like, ungrateful shit. Like, <laughs> it, it, and it's such a, yeah, it's such a Scott Adkins line. It's such a Troy Hawk line. Like, it's it's so... I, the, it might be my favorite line in the entire movie. It, it really sounded so like, I know this universe is very wild and sci-fi. That sounded like it came from just a, 10 seconds earlier before they rolled. Like, uh, do you have something? Yeah, I can say ungrateful shit. Great. One thing that's a losing battle with me, I'm sorry, it is wrestling. I can't get on with it. It's not my thing. And when you make it a key component... Uh, albeit it goes wild places but when you make it a key component of this universe that we've got uh, wrestlers and it's unparalleled in popularity and this big event and people going wrestling i'm kind of out michael <laughs> like uh, you, you gotta be good to get me on board here like and even dialogue with like the man from the wrestling federation i'm like i'm out i'm out this is not fun anymore just stop it with the wrestling i don't like it that that's because I'm not I'm simply not a fan. I've never understood it. I'll 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 let you share your take on that. What I will say first is at least when they start to mutate the wrestlers, it becomes a bit interesting because that's not the wrestling aspect. That's ah, this movie has mutated monsters. Okie dokie. Go on. So at least I got out of the whole wrestling sport thing that I'm simply not a fan of. It's it's uh, it's it's simply not me. But but you are. So was this a, an, a well, or you knew wrestlers or know one of them that appears in this movie. So is that a cool inclusion in Black Mask 2? Wrestling. I mean, is it a cool inclusion? No. Yes, I know wrestling and I am a wrestling fan, but it's it's a perfect example of of part of what's wrong with this movie, which is we have this whole opening with Dr. Lang chasing Black Mask. And then we switch to a completely different movie where we've got these, you know, gene spliced wrestlers. One thing that is cool is as a horror movie fan, I do love that, like, this movie might as well be a horror movie. I mean, we've got 
We've got Tyler Maine, who was Michael Myers in the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Robert Mix, you know, who was in House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, like, this is just a, a horror movie through and through. Like, it's a horror movie's wet dream to see all these actors in one movie. And most of them aren't wrestlers. The one that is is Rob Van Dam, who is is at, was actually one of my favorite wrestlers. I don't know. I It works as a setup. Because we have to figure out why all these big guys are trying to change and stuff like that. But it's it's so divorced from anything that looks like real world wrestling that I'm not sure that Choi Hawk has ever actually watched wrestling. I think he's watched people describe wrestling. <laughs> and that's what he tried to do. Because, again, they're treating it like it's real. You know, the the whole thing with like Michael Bailey Smith, Hellraiser, you know, and, and his kid uh, who whoa, I have words about the kid. Kid actors are good for movies. <laughs> um, you know, they're treating it like it's real. And everybody knows that wrestling is is not like it's scripted. Yes, they're the actors, the, the wrestlers are physically gifted, but it's much more like a choreographed fight scene and the outcomes are predetermined. So it, this whole aspect of it is weird, other than I like seeing a lot of the actors who are in it playing all of, you know, our, our people. When it just splits into uh, both the split screen, but starts to, uh, you know, show the uh, genetic uh, mutation running, uh, running wild, I mean, First of all, in terms of the visuals, uh, the split screen thing that he does, uh, Chohak, like it's a TV show, a multi-angle TV show, it's, it's nothing sensational, but at least the movie's making some little noise here. And I do like the frenzied visuals of one of the wrestlers freaking out uh, due to what he, they put in his brain. You know, that they, they, they do some handheld, they do some shaky camera, and some raging and uh, transforming the up. Sometimes very ropey, sometimes... Decent enough B-movie uh, CG as, uh, you know, their faces pulsating and so forth. Some of that looks bad. Some of that looks okay, I suppose. Really quick. The one thing I do want to say, we've talked about the CGI, but I will say, I think the makeup work in this, the actual, like, physical makeup once the people have transformed is really good. It looks very much like the Giver or, you know, it, it reminded me a lot of Screaming Mad George's work from from his movies. And the actual makeup and, and, and prosthetics are really good. It's just really ropey in those transformation scenes. I, I had had a hard time putting my finger on what, what would be the equivalent uh... – of what they're doing here if it's uh because i was thinking like it's like japanese tokusatsu entertainment with these types of mon- monsters like i don't came in a rider or whatever or common rider or it's power rangers or something like that and uh, i i enjoyed that uh, we had full monsters in uh, that regard or actors running around with uh, with monster hands as they're turning into lizards or whatever animal they're uh, they're supposed to turn into wolves even so it's in a B movie way, kind of fun. Some of the fighting, as we said, even though it's Yun Woping, it's not terribly memorable. Also, the tower fight, for instance, involving Black Mask, it's pretty green screened. And uh, that, I don't know if you noticed, but even in, sh- in simple shots, sometimes, even Black Mask at one point drops into a, an office, in, in, into the office of uh, John Polito. And that is green screened. And you're thinking, like, when did they lose the ability to 
drop an actor into a set on a wire? Why did they have to have uh, separate elements? But maybe they simply didn't have John Polito and couldn't get it working. But even the simple stuff is green screen here, and that is a major detract. Uh, it detracts from from the Hong Kong action cinema aspect of it all. They're taking a few steps back in terms of their their inherent skills, and um, that that's not necessarily a, a good thing. I mean, in terms of the CG explosions and so forth. It's sort of on the same level as in 1996, I suppose. At one point, a monster drops onto a car and there's CD uh, glass shards. Fine. There's a mixture of technical quirks here that certainly works and doesn't work. And then you have this scenario, you know, the transformation effects and (laughs) of these wrestlers sprouting legs and impaling people as well. Like, the movie goes... For an unusual component in a Choi Hak movie, it gets a bit gory at one point. Because as you said, it kind of looks like a horror scenario at one point. Um, so that felt new to me that Choi Hak was going for these gory impalements. Um, and I wouldn't have minded seeing more of that, to be honest. Because uh, um, I'm that kind of guy. That, that, gets me, that, that gets me going. That gets my attention uh, going in a movie that's uh, sporadic and sputters is, uh, and is... Uh, Low on energy. I'm speaking of all of this that like it's high energy. It really isn't. But one person I think is that is understanding this very well, despite being surrounded with a lot of CG, and I don't know if you agree or not. I think Tracy Lords understands this movie very well. Because I think she's fun. She has this stern stern behavior as uh, wonder mutations that uh, can camouflage herself. Not that anyone was phoning this in necessarily, maybe Tobin Bell and John Polito. I think Tracy Lords perfectly well understood what is required of her and what kind of movie we're dealing with here. So she she left a favorable impression uh, on me uh, from um, from from an actor's standpoint. And in spontaneous notes on on her or anyone else. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, apparently she had the biggest trailer. Um, that was <laughs> that was one thing. But I think look and and I'm not interested in you know making any jokes about Tracy Lords' prior profession because. You know, I am pro that profession and she's a very controversial person. But what she did post getting out of the adult industry, I think she did a lot of really great work. You know, she was on a a sci fi show called uh, First Wave that I really liked um, and she was great in it. And here it it is interesting because I think Choi Hawk really saw something in her. He was very much. I'm not saying this in like a dirty or sleazy way. He was very much enamored with her. She gets she's one of the only characters that actually gets an arc in this movie, right? She is actually the dramatic heft of this movie because her significant other is the first person to die because of the mutations and she blames Black Mask and then she comes around and realizes it's not Black Mask and and, and and she's got, you know, she does have a very cool ability. I think it kind of looks like garbage for most of the movie when she goes invisible, but it's still cool for the purposes of the movie. And yeah, she's invested. She seems to be. And, and I almost wonder, you know, like I said, that there was no script. I almost wonder if she was getting and this I don't have. This is not based on anything Scott's told me. This is my pure interpretation because 
Choi was enamored with her and and wanted her to give a good performance was maybe giving her more than he was giving some of the other actors in the movie in terms of what to work with, because there are plenty of times where she feels like she's in a different movie. Like she is given her all in this. I've always been a big fan of Tracy Lords as an actress, and I think she does a, a, a fine job in this movie. I got no complaints about her. Yeah, the guys, um, the other veterans, the elder veterans, they, they don't punch through as such, uh, even though, you know, John Polito is in a role that could mean he could hog the screen. But I, I don't think uh, he's under any great guidance here. I don't think Tobin Bell is, <laughs> is either. You know, that sort of dead-eyed look could work for uh, a villain of that kind. But, you know, he doesn't do anything that uh, sticks with you as such. Tobin Bell's more interesting when his head's in a box. Which he, which he is in this movie. Ironically, he's in a sort of saw-like con- contraption at the end of the movie. <laughs> In terms of Yung Wapeng's work, is there anything that you sort of single out? Yeah, that's cool. Or for me, it fades in the background because there's there's so much artificiality here that a seasoned martial arts choreographer's work is covered in the technical inadequacies, and therefore, really, I, I can't figure out any or think of any scenario of his that really impressed me. That felt. Uh, visceral and uh, organic and natural um, the movie isn't designed like that so it, it could have been someone out of Yu Ping's team that headed this and Yu Ping sort of was the supervisor who knows it doesn't seem like someone put his all into this or a master like Yu Ping put his all uh, into this uh, and heck he'd been busy for a few years uh, since the matrix came out so um, he'd um, you know the gas in the tank Kind of thing, maybe it simply it was running on fumes, trying to design Black Mask Two for for Choi Hak. But uh, there, there's nothing really I can say about his work other than um, the, maybe a skirmish. What uh, one of the skirmish in skirmishes in uh, the bathroom between uh, two of the wrestlers? It has some hand to hand stuff and some uh, rough and gritty stuff, but nothing really that just goes where you go. Whoa, Yung Wu Ping has arrived. Uh, there's nothing really here. There's a couple that work for me. There is in the climax, there is a fight where where Black Mask has to fight a half a dozen normal guys. And, and it goes into a much more what you'd expect a uh, Yan Wuping fight to be. And then I think there are some bits of the last fight between black mask and Dr. Lang that are good. Uh, some bits though, not, not the whole fight. I mean, the momentum is entertaining by this point, but, uh, and there's a lot of noise and a lot of things happening, which, which I suppose is a sign of a good, good team effort here. It's really, I'm really hard pressed to sort of like to quote specific bits from his work here. And in other movies, um, you kind of can. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, the thing to remember, I think, is he's also working on Kill Bill and Kung Fu Hustle at the same time. I I think it's fair to say that his heart and his dedication is 100% not in this movie. Um, I do not think the fighting, the actual combat, I think some of the fight scenes are good, but I don't think the actual combat is anything to write home about, especially given how good some of the fights in the first Black Mask are. Uh, I, it's a big step down uh, as far as that goes. 
we haven't mentioned him, but uh, obviously this is a, a an, a very early vehicle, if not the first, for um, at least in a lead role for Andy on. And they take their time to introduce him, which, you know, is their way of uh, obviously concealing the character and building up some kind of momentum for his character. Um, I can take him or leave it, uh, leave him in this movie. Uh, he doesn't generate that much intrigue as a character because he's not a wild character here. He's not a wild element. Other things are. Jet Li in the Black Mask role, granted his appearance as Black Mask is, is not his most iconic role, but it was Jet Li after all. And I'm, I'm, I'm really more of a novice when it comes to speaking of Andy Ong's career, how it's progressed since, exactly into what areas he's gone into and how he has evolved and uh, proceeded through through roles. I know he's a talented martial artist. I, I, I absolutely know that. And I've seen him in New Police Story and... Uh, He's in True Legend, I believe, uh, quite uh, unrecognizable. But to be honest, Andy on and the character of Black Mask really isn't part of the film's charm when it eventually has charms. Good-looking guy, good-looking guy, probably an uh, excellent athlete on all uh, and martial artist and all of that. But it's not the breakout vehicle, is my point. No, no. So here's the thing with Andy on is so I I did a lot of research into him to do my episode on this and also talk about him with Scott because they'd done a couple of movies together. Yeah. Andy on was working as a bartender in Rhode Island when he's approached by Charles hung and Choi Hawk. And they're like, you have the look. He doesn't know martial arts. He's not Chinese. Like he's, he's Chinese American, but the dude is American. Right. And so they fly him over. They send him to the Shaolin temple for three months and he just gets his ass kicked left and right trying to learn all this stuff. I mean, if you listen to my interview with Scott, Scott's like, and it's nothing but sympathy. He's not bagging on Andy on, but it's like Andy had no idea what he was doing on this movie. And, and so unfortunately, because of that, he just comes across as a blank. He's not interesting. He's not charismatic. And I actually am a big Andy on fan because I love that. He continued to keep working at acting and keep working at martial arts. And so then you end up, you know, now he's doing things like his fight with Donnie Yen at the end of Special ID is terrific. He's good in Once Upon a Time in Shanghai, even though I don't love that movie. And he's got the ability because he is American, but also speaks Mandarin. He's got the ability to bounce back and forth. So like he can show up in Black Hat. Uh, you know, and, and some of those other things. So I am a big Andy on supporter. I, you know, you know, I kind of assumed that he, that that was his life, that martial arts was his life, but, uh, you know, wrong of me, of course, but, uh, what a trajectory that he, he got thrown into this and then grabbed it and, uh, plowed, plowed his own path and uh, applied work ethic to, uh, to something that clearly appealed to him. He reteamed with Scott for a movie called Abduction. That's not a terrific movie, but they have a fight that is just, I mean, it's top tier. It's, I'm not going to say it's next level great, but it is top tier. It is a couple of pros just going at it. And so he's kept doing it and kept going at it. And uh, and I like that. But unfortunately, there's just no way around it. As much as I am a big Andy on fan, 
Uh, there is no way around the fact that he is one of the major weak links in Black Mask 2. He doesn't even get top billing at the end. You know, he, he gets an introducing credit at the top. Okay, fine. But he, he was Black Mask. He was the lead. No, yeah, you know, he's at the bottom of the cast list at the end. I was like, ouch. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe it's a SAG thing. Who knows? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it, <laughs> this wasn't proper. We can't place him at the top. Tobin Bell and Polito. They go at the top, and then all the other guys. But uh, yeah, that really surprised me. I, I wanted to mention what, what, when it does start to work. You know, it's a 100-minute movie. It seems excessive, and you only connect to some visual moments, some fun transformations with uh, the wrestlers into monsters, but not the wrestling context. But but then, you know, for the last 40 minutes, it starts to find its footing a little bit. Not, by the way, in the sequence where we haven't mentioned her, but the female lead in this movie is called Teresa Maria Herrera. Uh, she plays a doctor, slightly ditzy. At one point, uh, she has no shirt on and the guys can see her in her bra. And uh, that's for the lads. It's very cheap, but it's for the lads. And um, then Andy Owens' character buys her some new clothes and he bought something off the rack that makes her look like a prostitute. So that's for the lads as well. It's not a great role, but what what surprised me, Michael is that she didn't act that much after this. I was surprised because she seems to have a, a character type down. You know, playing a little bit ditzy, a little bit emotional, playing a doctor. She's a beautiful looking woman. But maybe she felt like, well, th- this is one note casting and that's what that's the kind of auditions I'm getting. So I'm not going to do this. But I was kind of surprised. It seemed like she would have some kind of life in movies or TV uh, because she isn't bad. Uh, but uh, it is by all accounts also her first uh, big role. Uh, she, she appears in some shape or form in Gen Y Cops, but I haven't seen Gen Y Cops, so she was familiar with uh, Hong Kong filmmakers. But, um, you know, not a great role, but um, that was my main takeaway, that um, that she disappeared, as a matter of fact. She ended up hosting Project uh, Runway Philippines for a while, uh, so I'm assuming she's Filipino, but I don't know. I don't want to criticize her too much because i don't know what she had to work with but i certainly think going from francois yip and karen mock in the first one to Teresa herrera in terms of talent brought to the table is a big step down but her character is also not really given i mean she's she's not given a lot to work with here you know she's i think this is again one of those times where if you're very very familiar with the hong kong way of doing things of not having scripts and you make shit up as you go you might be able like scott did to be able to adjust because he'd done a couple of hong kong movies already but for her i feel like she probably could have used a little bit more actual directing uh so i don't blame her i blame Choi hawk for directing her because it's just her whole character is and that's one of the things that I really don't like about the movie is how I think the final where we're getting Black Mask battling everybody is terrific. But we keep cutting away to her and the kid uh, and and it just makes me angry every time. we cut away. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that's a break in the momentum. Uh, that's for sure, because I, I didn't care for the, the son of one of the wrestlers, uh, uh, nor her or the 
sort of romantic uh, link that they managed to work out between her and Andy on. It, it's kind of like, no, no, don't care about this. I care about the wrestlers or the actors with prosthetic arms on them. That uh, signifies that they're animals, half mutated. That is fun. And that is where the movie really starts to work for me in this extended heist sequence. And there's some genuinely laugh out loud funny things. Might be unintentional, but still funny. As they're sort of half mutated, these guys, at least one of them, they're lusting for animals, Michael. I found that super funny. They're actually lusting for animals because they're turning into animals. And following all of them on their heist, fully transformed, half-transformed, is super fun. Because now the actors here, they're developing a dynamic that isn't about, you know, wrestling rage. But they're kind of mildly annoyed with each other. And I thought that was super funny. And, And it's kind of underplayed too. They're not shouting to each other or... Uh, or be, or you know, being raging monsters, they don't like each other very much. They're, they're brought into this uh, predicament by someone else, you know, being genetically mutated, and that is super funny. And then when it's all you know, black mask versus full-on animals, even if it's just stuntmen in masks and fake arms mixed with CG, and obviously has nothing to do with great action choreography, I found that entire sequence with the high sequence, and I have no idea why the elephants are there, but I've I found the movie started to pile and pile and pile. Idea, 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 momentum, momentum, momentum. We found a rhythm. We found daft fun here. And that's where I found myself having a really, really good time. Maybe for the wrong reasons, but I won't deny. Despite it being wobbly technically all throughout this sequence. There's a lot of bad green screen stuff, blue screen stuff. You know, I, I must have felt somewhat akin to this way when I first saw it many, many years ago. And this is where the point, and all up till the end really, where I think the movie doesn't stop for a breather and has plenty of fun ideas that I want to go back and rewatch because it's impossible to catch them all. And all of a sudden it feels like a wild and frenzied Choi Hawk film. And I like that very, very much. Yeah, I mean, it is 100% a wild and frenzied Choi Hawk film. I mean, you are... There is so much thrown at you in this movie because, again, during all of this stuff you're talking about, we also get kitty cat black mask and and like he looks more like a serial mascot as he uh, uh, mutates. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's not, you know, you've got all the other monsters all are like, like, you know, lizards and iguanas and wolves and they're all scary. And they look like I said, they look like Giver villains. And then he looks like you just want to like pet his belly. <laughs> I just be like, oh, who's a good kitty? But I'm roar, a bad kitty cat. <laughs> but, you know, I, do, I will say I do think those scenes where. Dr. Marco, Teresa Herrera has to cure him and he's losing it and they're fighting and she has to, she's, she's selling all of it. And, and the mellow and the score gets very tragic as well as, uh, which is an unintentionally funny sequence, but uh, they went for it. They went there that uh, this is felt that black mask is in deep mutation peril. I would love to see what Andy on could do with this movie now. Given how much he's grown, given how much he's improved. Yeah, but I'm with you. There, there, there's just such a barrage of, I mean, that's that's the other thing is like you're getting when you're talking the last half an hour. It's like we haven't seen Dr. Lang for an hour at this point. And then he shows up 
cuts Tobin Bell's head off and puts him in a box. <laughs> if we're going to talk acting here, I think Scott really has an assurance in his delivery. And it seems to me, I, I haven't heard your interview, I'm sorry, I'm going to hear it. But it seems to me, at least by this point, when he's out of the green screen, he's clearly enjoying that role. Because sometimes when there is an assurance in someone's delivery, it's not flat, it's not phoned in. It just reeks of, I might not have, like if I were to speak for Scott here, he might not be like a huge comic book fan, but it seems like he gets Dr. Lang. And uh, he runs with it. Still without, he's not hogging the screen massively so, but he he kind of of gets this. So what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, to use a, a Twitter meme, he understood the assignment, you know, because but I, I love that he voluntarily like injects himself with the, the gene modifications. But then later we get in the last fight when it starts working on him. He's like, Moloch, what did you do with me? You do to me. It's like, dude, you you know, and that's one of those things where like the whole like not having a script stuff comes up. But there's no question to me that this movie 100 percent works better when Scott Adkins. And I'm not saying that just because I'm biased. I, I feel very confident that I'm being objective here. This movie works better when Scott Adkins is on screen. His character, the look, the and again, him understanding the assignment. Because I, I love when he's fighting Tyler Maine when he first shows up and, and both Tobin Bell, Moloch, and, and Tyler Maine's Thorn, they think, who's this guy with this these goofy glasses? And he just, like, schools all of them. It's so much fun. It's so great. And I love that his powers are completely, like, undefined. We know that he can, like, manipulate, I guess, essentially a force field. He can both repel and draw stuff to him. It's not very clear. And he's very limber as well. He's one of his superpowers. He's he's, uh, quite limber. Right, because there's that shot where Tyler May tries to punch him and we get the CGI where he turns into, like, Gumby. (laughs) (laughs) That stuff is over quick enough before your eyes can really focus on, wait a minute, that CG looks dodgy. Because it's, and, and, and that's how you use it sometimes. You, you don't linger on the low budget effects from the effects house. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But I just, I think the last 30 minutes of this, I don't know if you're, if you're a Choi Hawk fan and you like his bonkers ways. It's hard not to enjoy the last 30 minutes of this movie, man. I mean, he, he certainly comes off as a maker, and we, we've kind of touched upon this, that doesn't care if his voice and content is all over the place when you look at the filmography. That, that's why you kind of get into trouble when, like, Black Mask 2 from the director of Once Upon a Time in China. No, don't compare it to that or anything, because uh, most likely it's not going to be comparable to anything. Um, don't compare it to Peking Opera Blues. Uh, don't compare it to working class, <laughs> you know, like an 80s comedy. Yeah, no, this is this is from the director of Knock Off. Yes, like, like very much. If you're, if you're going to compare it, this is from the director of Knock Off. That's the, your comparison point. And being one thing is boring also. So clearly, Chohak in his career, he, he has not been one thing. He's been very angry at some points, hugely angry at society and so forth. And then... Then Sue, and then, uh, you know, all the waifu and uh, all, all the swordsmen and what have you. And I, I was thinking, as sort of one of my final notes here, uh, last year we watched the Andrew Lau movie, The Wesley's Mysterious File, which is uh, partially English, has some monster fights, CG. And there's a director 
who simply can't pull off this frenzy is is clunky and is dull and it doesn't work but when you put Choi Hak in in charge of these scenarios of monsters fighting he understands that this this can't be clunky and this can't be dull so we need to try that and do that and put it together like that and it comes down to the simple thing of you you get the right director with an eye for this stuff if ne- never watch a western mysterious file it's 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 awful it's dumb it's dull and just uh it's as kevin ma said on our show it's sort of hong kong cinema hall of shame fodder material and it's right he's right it and it has partially similar content to this and this is so much better it also comes down to the fact that i think jonathan ross is right chohak is fucking nuts and that's why we have cinema do hate appears so so two things one i loved I, I loved, 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 as you know, because we talked about it. I adored your journey through the Wesley movies, or I should say Wisely movies, uh, even though you and I don't agree on Bury Me High. But I am with you. Wesley's Mysterious Files. I loved listening to that episode because it was Kevin and was it Phil? Who else was on that? Uh, I had Paul Fox. So I had, I had, I had the East Green, West Green crew gathered for and I needed those guys because uh, I wanted someone to share the pain, but they they get it and they they um they they got the context down for what was happening there. And and if we talk Westin's mysterious file, it was shot way earlier, and it took two years to complete that. <laughs> you know, I bet the post production part of me for Black Mask Two was way shorter. And I also need to apologize to Daniel Lee. Uh, because I said earlier there was no way Daniel Lee was making a movie like this. I really should have said there's no way Andrew Lau. He would have been a better person to put in because Daniel Lee is actually a gifted filmmaker, even though he's very middle of the road. Andrew Lau, when trying to be middle of the road, can actually do some very good stuff. I know you you hate him a lot more than I do. I, I enjoy quite a few of his movies, but... When he's trying to do something unhinged like Wesley's Mysterious Files, how you make that movie that boring, I have no idea. I so wanted to love that because it's Andy Lau, it's these monsters and CG and a wild scenario with aliens and this crazy sex scene looking like uh, when they're in the orb. Oh my God, it should have been so much fun. It should have been. And, and had Choi Hawk directed it, it would have been. Because again... Well, like you said, he's fucking nuts. Like he's just a he's a lunatic. He is a madman. That's the thing. You know, I guess I don't know that I have a ton more to say about Black Mass 2 other than Choi Hawk's a madman. And whether it works or not, he's going to give you something worth watching, especially when he's in full on unhinged madman mode. And, and, And it's not terribly difficult to get to the stretch that works very well. And to have a stretch that, for us, I mean, I'm sure people hate this movie through and through, but to have a stretch that works so well continually, I think is uh, something to behold. Because if this movie had been sporadic and spotted all throughout, I think I would would have just like, no, no, it's it's uh, it's dull and boring as well. But there, there is, uh, it switches on and manages to find its uh, footing and deliver the kind of movie it certainly knows it is. It, it doesn't think it's important, obviously. If for me, when you watch as many movies as I do, regardless of whether the movie works or not, watching a movie where you can say, I've never seen something like that before. I've never seen Andy on 
ride an elephant down a busy highway like that is not a thing that i had seen in a movie before that's more special than i think a lot of people give it credit for i'm not telling anybody they need to like this movie because oof but what i am saying is you ought to put some respect on this movie because everybody involved in this movie just fucking went for it they went for it and whether it worked or didn't that's up to you but you ought to respect that they fucking went for it. I don't have any other notes other than some minor, minor notes, but more observations there. Uh, some further cast uh, notes. Uh, Terence Yin is here as a doctor, uh, familiar uh, to uh, Hong Kong film fans. Um, but um, I don't know what his nationality is, as a matter of fact, but he speaks fluent English. Uh, heck, he's even in a, in a Takashi Miike film, The Dead or Alive 3 which had Hong Kong cast across the board, too. And Terence Jean is in that, so he's worked for Mickey, so that's pretty cool. Um, Blackie Ko plays an inspector in one of his last performances before passing away in 2003. They don't give him a lot of dialogue because it just seems like Blackie wasn't ready to try and blurt out a ton of English dialogue, you know. But it's very cool to see him here, and, and uh, sadly he passed away uh, the year after this movie came out. And one of my favorite uh, funny bits in this movie, it, you blink and you miss it. I believe it's after the high sequence. Uh, the, the wrestlers are in in their hideout or in the sort of hospital facility that Tobin Bell runs or John Polito runs. And they, they've now, their transformations have gone down. And one of the guys, when they wake up and they say, oh my God, we're not animals anymore. They make that observation. One of the guys checks his pants to see his, that his dick has changed back essentially. Super funny. Yeah, I I totally forgot about that scene, but yeah. It's yeah. almost like, thank God I didn't like the way it looked before. <laughs> like, I didn't like my animal dick. Thank God the, the normal one is back. That was super funny because uh, it, it almost looks like a little improvisation thing there. Uh, it's it's non-verbal too. So I thought that was generally well well played. So so yeah, that, that's the end of my notes. So we, I guess we should do the availability. Uh, it's a Sony title, so Columbia TriStar Entertainment put out plentiful DVD editions around the world because it was a direct-to-video thing. It's on digital in several several regions, uh, mostly in English. So the Cantonese dub, you'll probably have to hunt down a DVD or Blu-ray in Hong Kong if you want uh, it uh, that way. Having said that, uh, the Blu-ray edition from South Korea, from Nova Media, that they uh, put out, uh, they put out a... a uh, a double pack and i'm not sure if they put a cantonese track on there being a south korean release so we're gonna create an editing point here and i'm gonna look it up so back again as a matter of fact if you do want to watch the cantonese version it is uh, more available than uh, the original hong kong dvd is because the south korean nova media black mask collection has city of masks on there in english and cantonese so um that's uh that's good to know if you want to hear Andy Lau and the gang yeah, do their best to make uh, Black Mask 2 come to life in Cantonese. And I did not know that. When I was uh, when I was collecting all my Adkins movies, I just bought the standard US DVD of this one. So now I might actually have to get that Nova Media set, Kenny. I'm, I'm, I might actually have to get that one because that sounds really appealing. There's probably not a translation on there in English based on a Cantonese track, right? There's probably a, but still, you can probably watch it that way anyway. You know what I mean? Like the, the you know, the subtitles are going to match the English dialogue rather than the Cantonese dialogue. But I wouldn't uh, worry too much about that, to be honest. It's just sort of fun to, to listen to it, I suppose. Uh, listen to those uh, 
familiar performers. So. Yeah, and I've seen this movie so many times at this point, I don't even need subtitles. Like, I, I will know... I will know when Jordan Chan's trying to say ungrateful shit in Cantonese. Like, I I will know that. But um, let us know how it works out. But uh, it's out there regardless. I, I bought the, a digital uh, local version. So, uh, and that was fine to me. But thank you very, very much, Michael. I, I, I'll, I certainly have intentions of uh, getting you onto this show again because you're lovely to uh, chat to. But I wanted you on for, for the strict purpose of plugging your show your ongoing uh, evolved and uh, deep academic examination of Scott Atkins' filmography is such a, a admirable, valiant effort, and uh, I'm sure it's difficult to keep up. Uh, but but you, on the other hand, are produ- your producing machine, so uh, you you're going to complete it eventually. I really wanted you on to uh, to speak about both of these movies. Like, yeah, we can't. It would have just been odd to do Black Mask two without doing Black Mask one, despite no Scott Atkins involvement in the first one. But um, it's. Uh, I, I wanted to paint a, an honest to God twenty twenty one perspective on these two movies uh, that both have significant flaws, but are both fun in their own right. Like, I like me for instance. I I can't. I can't really say if I like one better than two because I think they both have their distinct fun because they're they're sort of two directing voices. Two is more fresh. So I was like, I want to watch that last 30, 40 minutes. That was fun. But um, I've uh, never disliked going back to part one either. You know, and now that we have an addition with the extended footage into, uh, in, integrated into it and all of that, yeah, it's um, it's a good time to own Black Mask if you... If you if you like it like it of course there there, there is a fan base uh, of it and there's people that don't really get on with uh, with it uh, as, as sort of a jet Li vehicle I think um, sometimes that's the comparison thing well as a jet Li movie not my bag but um, if you strip that away then uh, these two make for a nice little double bill I think yeah actually that was a thing that that I had a lot of fun with doing these together because I've I've obviously watched black mass two a bunch because of of scott and i had to do an episode but i'd never watched one and two in such a close time frame and they're actually honestly a lot closer together in terms of tone and vibe and quality than i remembered because i i remembered black mask one being even though you know people who've listened to the episode we both really liked that movie and i gave it a solid recommendation i remembered it being better than it was and based on the first time i watched black mask 2 back in you know 2002 2003 i remembered that being a lot worse than it was so that's kind of like the thing that i would say to sum this up is just Black Mask isn't as good as you remember, and Black Mask 2 isn't as bad as you remember. Mm-hmm. So watch them both back to back, and there's a lot of fun to be had in both of them. Just chill and watch them. They're, they're a good time. Excellent. Well, uh, Fika, that's um, the conclusion point for us here. So let's uh, let's do some plugging and, um, and get out of here and watch the last... 34 minutes of Black Mask 2 again. Uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. You'll find all our shows uh, on Korea cinema, Japanese cinema, and so forth on there, as well as social media links and uh, where you can find us on the different uh, podcast platforms. So uh, that's me plugged out, and I'm going to let you um, 
grab the floor and uh, do as much uh, plugging as you like for your uh, for your ongoing endeavors. So um, yeah, you can follow me personally uh, on Twitter and Letterboxed at Hibachi Justice. You can follow the show Adkins Undisputed. The best way to find it is uh, Linktree slash Adkins Undisputed Pod. But if you just want to listen to it, it's on every podcast app of your choice. Uh, so you can find it there. Or you can also check me out if you need to get a hold of me. I have a, another Twitter for that that's Adkins Podcast on Twitter. Uh, I hate Instagram. I have Instagrams. I hate it. So the easiest way to get a hold of me, if you want to track me down, is on Twitter. Thank you again for taking the time to discuss these two. And uh, I'm uh, going to make sure we find something uh, suitable whether Choi Hawk related or not uh, like, uh, next time we'll do Tristar, the Choi Hawk movie that I don't think anyone knows exists <laughs> I will come back anytime you want me to man I always love talking to you it's it's just always a delight hanging out and chatting with you likewise and uh, this was uh, a lot of fun and uh, especially with your added hands on experience uh, talking to the man that uh, stood there in the steampunk uh, goggles uh, understanding his task very very well that, that added a lot to the show so thank you very much uh, so let's uh, let's sign off I've been Kenny B and with me was Michael Scott of the Atkins Undisputed Podcast so take us out buddy you always say take us out and then I feel like there's something I'm supposed to do here even though I've listened to all your shows but I never know but this has been Podcast on Fire uh, on the Podcast on Fire network uh, thanks buddy I always love talking to you